0: One thing that we are, we're an animal, but we're also the next stage of animals where we're aware of who we are and we contemplate our existence. And when you contemplate your existence and you're an intelligent life form, you should always be seeking to improve. If you're always seeking to improve, the thing that you look at it like, what has brought me the most positive results?
1: This is Ronald Gibson, and this is Short Life Advice from the best of the best. Today I have with me Ben
0: Shukart. Ben, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, excited to be on your uh, fourth podcast here.
1: Yeah, I know you're a v- very busy man. I've been sitting in your office the last 30 minutes and uh, you've been dragged out of here several times, so I appreciate for taking the time yeah, out of your day here. No, not a problem. Uh, I love being uh, popular in the freight world, so <laughs> got a lot of things
0: we're moving on, so it's good.
1: That usually means money's uh, flowing through.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> opportunities. Good no shortage of opportunities right now.
1: Let's start off with uh, some of your background, uh, a little bit of history. Some may not know you used to be the the Berja of the Chicago office, VP of uh, Chicago. Maybe go a little behind the scenes there and even further back when you're in Indianapolis, the start of STM.
0: Sure, sure. I appreciate it. Uh- so I my title today is VP of Operations so I have accountability uh, everything carrier everything execution and when we when we say everything carrier you know I really think about the carrier experience and, and and what do carriers want from us and how do we set up our business in STM to attract carriers to grow with carriers to be carriers preferred customer preferred broker and how do we get carriers to keep rebuying from us so a lot of the career experience, uh, VP of ops is you know what I do today, but uh, I obviously didn't always do this. So let me kind of rewind a little bit here. And, uh, and I look back um, August 1st to 2000, uh, so 19 years ago, I would have started with Schneider and I started coming uh, with Schneider right out of college. So okay. I came from UW Oshkosh and I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is where our corporate headquarters is. And um, coming out of college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, which I think is common. I also didn't know what logistics was. I didn't know what brokerage was. I knew very little about transportation. Um, I knew the orange trucks. I mean, and I knew Schneider was one of the largest employers in Green Bay, and it would look great on my resume. So I knew I needed a job. I was working at a video game exchange store, making like six bucks an hour repairing old nintendos okay that's what um, i was about to ask was it atari then or nintendo uh, uh, well you know <laughs> i was repairing old nintendos because i thought nintendos were cool but i mean this was 2000 so there was a playstation okay. but i was trying uh-huh. to get people to go retro i'm like you should really try this nes system and try this zelda game
1: you were ahead of the time because that's what everyone's doing yeah, now yeah the minis.
0: the minis came back so yeah. this is before the minis but I, yeah i saw a market i'm like you know i want to play the games i grew up playing And um, if I took some rubbing alcohol, some sandpaper, I could clean these old Nintendo cartridges where you didn't have to blow into them anymore to play them. Yeah. um, So anyways, I had to get off Video Game Exchange, started at Schneider, and um, I started working second shift, 2 to 10, 3 to 11. Um, Back in 2000, which to me seems like yesterday, but for others, I'm sure it was, you know, they were 4 or 5 or however the the listeners were. I mean, it it is a while, you know, how fast it goes, but we didn't have seller roles and broker roles so really to get in with the company (coughs) um, coming out of school a lot of times you worked extended shifts or extended hours Mm. and um, what i loved about that was the 2 to 10 3 to 11 is um, coming from college i was already kind of a night owl i wasn't ready for uh you know first shift hours early morning Mm. Uh, so i didn't have to change much there but really what i loved about starting with schneider was the pace the pace of the day or the pace of the night then Um, we, we got all the calls at 5 p.m. and it was like a funnel of calls coming to you and you're not getting calls for people to book freight with you or thank you. It's where's this truck? What happened? There's a breakdown. And so it was heavy, heavy issue resolution. Okay. And it was just a funnel of calls that just from five to about nine was just a funnel of calls. And um, it was a great way to learn the business and learn trucking and markets and carriers and pricing and issue resolution. Um, and this was where? This was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay, okay On Green the Bay. customer okay. service floor. Okay. So they okay. have a, they call okay. it like the acre. If anyone's seen it, and it's like the big acre of yeah. CS. Um, it was at night. You are with some other night owls, and you were in this little corner. And all everyone leaves on first shift, and the calls just funnel. And and mm. I mean, the whole time you're there, there's calls in queue, just waiting for the next one. And you have no that's idea great. what it is or what what what, but it's usually going to be an issue or problem. Um, <laughs> I can guarantee that. And that's how I got started in the business. Um, little known fun fact is Dave Dietrich, who yeah. is our um, VP of Specialty Services, specifically LTL, Dell. Um, Dave actually hired me. Dave was on second okay. shift also and actually hired me. So um, if Dave's listening, I'm sure he is. Big shout out to Dave <laughs> Dietrich. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, that's so small world there. I did that for about three years and okay. fast forwarding a little bit here. Um, then we really had an opportunity to go to STM. And I, I kept seeing messages from Aaron Van Zelen, who's my leader now. And they were saying the brokerage buzz, the brokerage buzz, these emails that were coming on, uh, you know, through my email. I'm like, what is this? What is brokerage? Who's this person? What was she doing at the time?
1: So she
0: was helping start up STM. Like we always had kind of broker overflow free, Mm -hmm. but we're more formalizing what brokerage was and making STM and really putting a service offering. So Aaron was there in the beginning um, to create what STM is now. Okay. She's trying to legitimize it basically. Yeah, taking kind of the overflow, we would sell freight to carriers, just an overflow model Mm. to really how do you build it out? What's the vision? Um, Sellers, brokers, offices to what it is today. And, you know, she had done a lot of homework of studying our key competitors. So she had definitely a vision and blueprint of what she wanted to do. Mm. And I had an opportunity to interview and um, got the role and it was for a broker manager. So it's my first time leading people. And it's my first time working first shift, um, real hours. So, okay. uh, but besides that, it was, a, it was a good opportunity. That's where I learned the business, how I got into brokerage. That was in Green Bay still. And um, kind of fast forward, you know, so for the last, say, 16 years, I've been in STM in brokerage, starting at a broker manager, um, doing uh, and then going to a sales leader and a broker director, sales director. And then, uh, like you referenced I was the sales RVP in Chicago for some time. Um, but through that time, I went to, left Green Bay, went to Indianapolis, opened a small brokerage office there at our operating center. Mm-hmm. And I had that there where two of our brokers we have today with us still, Brian Beardley, Vanessa Walker, were two of my original brokers in Indy. Wow. Um, and we were just a small office of like four people uh, covering, you know, 20, 30, 40 loads a day. And we had accountability for um, Indiana and Western Kentucky Uh, outbound. I remember it well. And it was a lot of fun. But uh, Wasn't Saks covering freight with you, too, or at one point? Well, yeah. So (laughs) Saks was covering freight, too. So Justin would have been in our Baltimore office. Oh, okay. And uh, Justin was the manager of Baltimore. I had Indy. Oh, okay.
1: And so, you know, a history
0: lesson to kind of go back. At one point, we probably had 30 offices in STM. Wow. All smat satellite offices of four to 10 people. And they were predominantly focused on carriers. Like 99% of what everyone did was carrier side, carrier execution. Mm. And it was all overflow from Schneider. I didn't realize um, we had that many locations. Or well, that many locations and that much overflow freight to build that many locations. So anywhere there was an operating center, we probably had a brokerage office mm. located. Okay. Um, so we had offices from, you know, uh, I mean, everywhere. I mean, all these small satellite offices around the country. The thought back then was, this is the early 2000s, is you're close to the carriers to help you build the relationships. Well, so when I moved to Indy from Green Bay, I moved there um, for a career opportunity. I, I wanted to, I had never really even been to Indy. What year was that? Uh, this is like around 2005-ish. Okay. And I had never been to... Indianapolis. I had no family there, no friends, but I said, there's freight there. Um, Indy's a big market. It's close to Chicago, close to these other spots, kind of the center. Mm -hmm. And so when we were opening other offices, there's a few others on the map uh, that I could have picked, but I really wanted Indy because I thought there'd be a best opportunity uh, for freight. So I moved to Indy. Um, Won't spend too much time on the story, but literally (laughs) I had no family or friends, you know, so I got there and soon the recession started hitting. And this is back, you know, um, to, between 2008-ish, but uh, you know, freight was starting to dry up before the real recession mm. hit, that was back in 08, mm-hmm. 09. Freight usually a leading indicator, like freight was really soft, really hard to get freight. So what happened is Schneider didn't have enough freight for their own drivers. So we are brokering overflow freight. So around that time, I was in an office, no family, no friends, now I have no freight, Mm -hmm. Um, was not fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's when we decided uh, we were gonna build the Chicago office, the inside sales. We needed our own sales force that was focused on brokerage, focused on STM, and always getting freight for third party carriers. So now Schneider could be one of our carriers, but we need enough freight of our own freight that we can always feed the carriers so that the carriers are there for us. And so when the opportunity came to, I actually left Indy and moved to Chicago and I moved to the sales side from a broker manager to a sales manager to help secure freight Mm -hmm. uh, for STM. And then I was there for a decade, so 10 years in Chicago, and then moved back here in 2014. Um, But I've always been um, either doing sales or ops, um, but mostly ops work. Even when I was on the sales side, I was really there kind of to secure enough rate to feed ops. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to go back to ops because I always loved the carrier side.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm with you. That was, most of my history has been
1: on the carrier side too. And as you know, I've been on the sales side for the last six, seven months. But uh, you always have, I still catch myself saying carrier, saying, you know, yep. and then just wanting to have that itch to get back to the carrier side. But that's a really cool story. It's, uh, just to know the history. And we had that many satellite offices and watching it. And then you open up in Evanston and then went to the, and then open
0: up the Chicago office where we're at now. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, we were, I was in Evanston. And so I was in, when I was in Indy, I literally got a condo there on a Saturday. I had a realtor help me. I was <laughs> yeah. all excited. I never bought a property. I moved from Green Bay. I'm like, man, I bought a condo. And it was in a really quiet community in Fishers. And Fishers was one of the largest growing communities at the time. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'll I'll do this short term. And these condos were selling like really fast. When they go on the market, they'd sell. Mm -hmm. Well, so I bought the condo, thought this will be easy to get rid of. When I moved to Chicago, I could not sell the condo because the housing boom was hitting, the recession. And when I was in India, I never met any friends really because the community I moved in was actually a retirement community. (sighs) So like, I didn't even know that. I mean, this is how like naive I was back then, but my neighbor, uh, bless his heart, this old guy died one day. And then, you know, and then I was kind of picking up like, these are like really old people around me. And then here I am, this young guy trying to figure out his career in this retirement home. So, uh, made a big issue, kind of like not the smartest, uh, life decision then. And then when I moved to Chicago, Evanston's a beautiful place. And there's just one area of Evanston that's kind of sketchy, and that's kind of where I went to live. Um, so uh, I also learned a lot personally just on um, to take time on where you're going to live, research it a little bit. But um, uh, so, yeah, I was learning a ton, not only about freight and business, but just on my, on my own, just mm-hmm. being on your own away from family and friends. Yeah. Um, but also just like starting to kind of really. Uh, I was really starting to second guess myself on some of the decisions I was making about where I was living back then. I got you. Um, but, uh, but it all turned out it turned out well, uh, very well for me. Um, I met my wife in Chicago. She ended up being my neighbor. She lived exactly above me. Um, she's from Denver, Caitlin. Okay. And so it all worked out. It was all yeah. part of a plan. So it got me finally to Chicago where I met my wife, um, met a lot of friends, met people still from you know Schneider, Chicago, I'm still very close to. And so, again, Indy, um, I did meet a few friends there, um, you know, so Vanessa, Brian. But um, that just kind of helped me get to Chicago, where I really, I think I was meant to be. And things personally really took off once I was there. Um, and professionally, I had a lot of great uh, learning opportunities.
1: Mm. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to move to a random city that you've never been. And you're from the Wisconsin area and then moved to Indy and then then when that didn't work out so well, when you moved to Chicago. Still didn't come home. You just keep moving to random cities where, where you didn't really know anyone. I mean, that takes—I mean, that takes a lot out of you know a person, and it only helps you make you grow really quickly. I yeah, mean, what? Yeah. What? Uh, I mean, what did? What was your mindset then? Like, was it just I just need to? I love Schneider, and I'm just looking to advance in the company, or was it more just I'm just taking opportunities wherever they're, you know, wherever they're at for me?
0: Well, you know, uh, uh, a mix. I mean, I had, I had really good uh, mentors and leaders uh, during this time that are Schneider uh, Schneider leaders. And um, so one, I had a really good broker that I knew was going to be a better broker manager than me. He, 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 he's not with us anymore, um, but he was with a long time Schneider guy. Okay. And uh, he, he I kept saying, you know, you could run this office. You could be a great broker manager. Why don't you go to uh, Columbus or go to Indy or go to the field and open your own office? And I kept asking him, you know, why don't you go do that? You'd be great at it. And he was another Wisconsin guy. And he's like, no, I like snowmobiling. I like hunting and and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to the point where I said, well, I'm just going to go do this. I kind of talked myself and I took my own advice. Okay. Um, and so he ended up taking the role I had in Green Bay as a broker manager. I went to Indy to okay. open my own office. One of the reasons I wanted to open my own office is being in Green Bay is kind of the mothership. But all these satellite offices had their own PL. And you could see there's nothing better for me at the time being a competitive guy mm. is starting a business from scratch. I wanted to show that I could do this. Mm. And I wanted to start at zero loads and see how fast I could grow it. But also being from Green Bay's brokerage office, I already had carriers, I knew freight, I knew lanes, so I knew I had an advantage. Um, So part of it was I wanted to build my own. But the other part is just I had great leaders giving me advice of like, hey, if you really want to make a difference, you got to go learn the field. You got to go work in the field. You got to get out of the mothership and experience that. And when I went to do it, I went to do it for like two years. I mean, I was in the field for like 12. I never expected to... Um, be in the field as long as I did but I fell in love with Chicago and everything Chicago has to offer so I got to a point where it's really hard for me to even leave Chicago um, but I'm, no. yeah but I'm here I'm from here so eventually it was okay to go home and move home but um, you know how why I did it on why I it just just to take make a bet on yourself whatever you're doing put yourself in a uncomfortable position um, kind of bet on yourself, um, and again have a very clear scoreboard of how you're doing. And the scoreboard to me was this indie PL office that I thought we could just explode and really grow, and, and we did, and we did real well growing it. Eventually, all the brokers we had in Indy they all moved to Chicago with me because mm. eventually, what happened is all the satellite offices we we absorbed them all into the bigger centers that we have today because we realized we didn't need to have centers everywhere because carriers, I mean, you look at the work we're doing today. Yeah. I mean, even, even in an office, sellers and brokers, they're chatting all today, you know, they're chatting back and forth and emailing and texting and snap facing, and, <laughs> you know, they're not necessarily have to be next to each other. And so we were able to not have a, all the costs and infrastructure of all these offices and build them in these big mega centers, which we have now, which is a lot better because it created a lot more opportunity for people. If you're in an office of five people, it's hard to get career development and IDPs and opportunities. You're in an office in Chicago, I mean, I look at it as like, there's nothing but opportunity. Um, And we've seen that over and over again, if you look at all the movement and all the leaders Mm -hmm. that have come through there. uh, So that was always important about kind of building those those mega centers too, so that there's more opportunities for our people. (laughs)
1: It's good. I pre- appreciate appreciate the insight, the background, all that. That's uh I'm sure a lot of uh, people listening will love hearing some of the background of STM. Let's uh let's revert back. I like asking this question. What's the first concert you've ever been mm-hmm. to? So the
0: the first concert, um, being from Green Bay was at the Brown County Arena, which is no longer here. They tore it down this year, so I kind of got emotional watching it get tore down. Uh-huh. It's a really old arena, but uh-huh. it would have been 7th grade. Uh, my friend Kevin Brodsky, who I'm still best friends with, grew up with, uh, he was over this weekend. Awesome. We went to the Brown County Arena. Our parents dropped us off, and it was uh, Warrant and Poison. Um, okay, of the bands. Yeah. <laughs> and this is this is back um, Don Mikowski was a quarterback before our Brett Favre. So we have Rogers, Brett Favre, and Don Mikowski. Now Don Mikowski saying every rose has his thorn was his thing. So it was a really <laughs> cool concert. Poison, Don Mikowski. And I remember we were like row we fought our way up to like row two or three as kids. Um, Never been to a concert. Who knows what was going on around us at a Warrant uh, Poison concert. (laughs) I can almost still picture the black T-shirt I had. um, and It was just covered in sweat and remembering my rat tail. And just, uh, um, yeah, just uh, seventh grade, myself in seventh grade at this concert with all, you know, older people, adults. But so that was the first concert um, experience. I would say, you know, over the years, I, I probably lost my taste for Warren and, and Poison. I haven't seen them again uh, in concert, but uh, uh, I still love going to shows. That was one of my favorite things about going to Chicago is all the live music. Yeah, I um, agree more. Yeah, got to see tons of live music. And um, still, you know, to this day, um, more recently, you know, I probably saw this year, I probably saw the National there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and saw them. That was probably my last concert. And then um, at Summerfest this year, um, Aver Brothers, Willie Nelson, mm. um, a few others were there that I got to see. So I still go to the concerts, um, just minus uh, the rat tail and <laughs> uh, um, the um, experience uh, that I had back in seventh grade. That's great. Po- poison and warrant. I, uh, I still jam with some poison. Yeah. At- well, well, if you ever get a chance, what I would recommend is Warrant, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um that's a little known classic that was on the album, so um you might wanna check that one out.
1: I've probably heard it actually. My my parents listen a lot of classic rock, so I still jam out to classic rock and uh, I'm known for my tunes in the office, so we'll get Uncle Tom's cabin going so okay. that can that can get people fired up. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's see here. What is a what's a book that you've given most of as a gift or that's maybe made a lot of impact in your life or made you change
0: like s- some habits or. <clears throat> um, so, well, first of all, um, for me, almost all the books that I, that I read, they're all audibles now. OK, so I, I'm a huge fan of podcasts and audible so i am definitely um i like to learn by listening through books now Mm -hmm. um where i used to struggle to just sit down with a book and relax and read now i love uh, listening so i'm a big fan of audible and a big fan of like especially taking a walk and listening Um -hmm. mowing the lawn, I've a have a a, if I can mow the lawn and listen or do mindless yard work, just nothing better. Driving, um, how much I can get done. So one, I'm a big fan of Audibles. And since I went on there, um, I discovered a whole different um way of learning and Mm -hmm. and really uh kind of upped my book game because right where I used to struggle, especially as a student, now it's just a lot easier. But uh Books I would recommend or I really enjoyed um, over the last couple years, I'd say a really popular one and a popular one here at Schneider with some of the leaders we've shared has been Shoe Dog. Mm -hmm. So the story of Phil Knight Mm -hmm. um, and Nike. I've just read it pretty recently. Great book. So amazing, right? I mean, um, if you're a runner, it's got something for you. Entrepreneurial. um, Talking about a guy that took risks. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people like to use the word the grind or grit. I mean, this guy... I mean, what he built from where he started was really, really impressive. So I would say, you know, Shoe Dog, the most recent book I read, I just finished the autobiography of Steve Jobs. So it was all about Jobs Mm -hmm. and the Apple story. And uh, um, that was a longer listen. You know, I think it was in the 20 plus hours. It was was, was a big book. It was a big (laughs) listen for me. Um, but I listened to that on my way out to Colorado, um, I was on vacation and I got to plow through it on the drive because I drove out there. So, uh, you know, you got like 15 hour drive there. So I got to listen to a lot of it. And then when I was in the mountains, um, and, uh, I really enjoyed that one, enjoyed the story, um, the story of Apple, just Steve jobs, like just his, um, incredible focus on building that business. Um, was really good, and then and then more on the the fiction. I, I've listened to a lot of Stephen King, which okay um, was just random because I was listening to Audibles and I need something different, and uh, so I can kind of go from nonfiction, fiction. No, Usually, if I'm, I'm listening to business or self, kind of help things that help me get better in my craft, mm. I listen to those. But after a couple of those, I, I kind of they kind of burn me out, and then I go listen to like a Stephen King book and um you know they can be really weird books supernatural (laughs) the gunslinger all kinds of weird stuff yeah and i'll listen to one of those and be like all right i'm gonna go back to uh you know a book on motivation or something but uh um, i'm a big fan of podcasts and the audibles
1: i like it it just it helps you when you're driving like when i'm working out sometimes i'll listen to podcasts or or throw a book on audible but i'm the same way i try to throw in an a fiction book every now and then because i'm similar to you i always want to try to be learning as much as possible but i force myself to throw in a fiction book here and there just because there's only so much you can burn yourself out and jam all these business podcasts and and books and to try to you seem to like biographies um you, you talk about the jobs and then the shoe dog yeah um What do you like about biographies? You you
0: you know it's funny um, these ones specifically. I um I like entrepreneurs. I like I like building a business. I like I respect people that build a business, take a chance, come from nowhere and build a brand and a business and a business like Nike or Apple is going to last forever. Mm -hmm. So. I was listening to biographies, but I was really curious on how they approach building a, a business. What was their vision? What was their entrepreneurial spirit? Um, so it was kind of the best of both worlds, like learning about these really iconic people, mm-hmm. but really kind of getting inside of what their thoughts were or what their process was. And so when you're listening to it and learning about them, you're kind of reflecting on yourself of like, what do I do? What do what do I take the right risks? Am I am I focused like a Steve Jobs? Mm-hmm. You know, Jobs is like focused on there's like one iPhone. You know, he's very very focused on the detail and the feel and the shape and the curves of the glass and it just makes it just gives me a whole different appreciation where I'm kind of reflecting like, okay, well, what do I care about? What what am I trying to help? You know, uh, customers, carriers, what's the experience? What are we leaving in STM? And so. It's kind of, they are biographies just happen to be also about businesses with also ties into the, you know, I think I learned best from Mm storytelling. So I'm just hearing the story of these two icons about how they built the business. And then I'm kind of learning um, things that I can take in my personal life.
1: There's some podcasts, I I can't remember, I was trying to think of the name of it as you were talking, but there's some podcasts where it, it talks about these people. Tim Ferriss has one. That's where I get a lot of my Questions from and Tim okay. Ferriss has a business podcast. He brings on like the CEO of Walmart. He had on LeBron James. He, he brings on a lot of people and he asks them similar questions just to try to figure out what makes them tick. Sure. So, but, uh, sure. He, uh, why was I going down that rant?
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're, I mean, similar, um, you know, whether it's a good podcast that's highlighting oh, someone yeah. in the business world that yeah. you can learn from and yeah. kind of like, what's their, you know, like uh, Freakonomics I listen to. And every now and then they have like a CEO series and they had different CEOs from major brands on there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, um, you know, how'd you become CEO? What's your background? What inspired you? You know, similar questions. Yeah.
1: There's like and, the the Peloton one was really good. It talked about the background of Peloton. This guy was working at a burger king i believe and and they just had this idea and then just went for it but the shoe dog yeah and and those biographies what i enjoy the most out of those is like him going through his story and how many times he came so close to failure but he just kept pushing on He, he believed in himself had faith in himself and his people and his company that he created and then just like we kind of idolize these people, you know, the jobs and uh, Phil Knight and all these um, very old historic figures. We Mm -hmm. idolize them and think they maybe they didn't do anything wrong. They did you know, they never made any mistakes, but I think that's what it does for me. It's like Phil Knight made a lot of mistakes, but he owned up to him. He battled through, he battled through the diversity and then, uh, about adversity, and then eventually, you know, became what Nike is today. Sure, That's yeah. what I love
0: about those. Yeah. And it's just. What humanizes, you know, the the autobiographies, the stories, you know, they it humanizes these people. Because at the end of the day, there's people. There's people like yeah. you and I. And they just happen to people that have done incredible things with their life, but they've had a ton of trials and tribulations that yep. no one talks about. You got to start um, somewhere. And yeah, and that, mm-hmm. that's the most interesting is because everyone can relate to um, some trial and tribulation they have. So, um, but you know, it's funny. I never, I never thought of, I like autobiographies and, uh, and I don't, and I, and I, I do like them, I guess. And I say that, but I also worry that the algorithms of my audible are kind okay. of dictating of what I read because. I like Stephen King, and now I'm getting all these weird science fiction things pushed to me about like Mars and space and um, like you know like uh, teenage sci-fi stuff. Okay. And I'm like, no, I I haven't got them, but I'm like looking at it and I'm reading. I'm like, well, this might be interesting, you know, kind of like. um, But the algorithms is funny because I was just thinking, like, well, what's the next book I have queued up? And I have one on Virgin on on Richard Branson. Yeah. Okay. And it's another autobiography, but I didn't even make the connection. So, hmm. so I do like autobiographies, but I also think that the uh, algorithms are starting to uh, <laughs> suggest things to me, and I'm getting kind of uh, maybe a little lazy, and I'm just picking what the next recommendation is. So, um, I'll have to I'll have to kind of watch that to try to break the algorithm.
1: Yeah, one of the one of my favorite biographies was. Tom, the Thomas Jefferson one. Okay, I wasn't even, even big into history back in the day, and just as I've gotten older, I've found myself respecting history a little bit more, and uh, just wanting to understand it and where we came from, and uh, just understanding Thomas Jefferson, one of the best minds, and it was really good biography, and just going through. Some of the things we just talked about, the trials and tribulations that he went through and how he battled through and how close he was to not even becoming president. And some of the things that people believe that he did that were that they didn't agree with and why he didn't, you know, just learning the insights of some of the greatest minds is, is pretty cool to me, I
0: think. Well, I, I, and it's funny, you know. Same Thomas Jefferson, you know. I tried Hamilton was big and so probably big, and the musical, and the CD, and the rap, and so I, I downloaded Hamilton on my Audible, and I, I don't think I've ever got. I'm probably on chapter seven, but I put it on at night, and it'll mm-hmm. I'll fall asleep within five minutes. Yeah, I mean, every time <laughs> I find I just I don't find it interesting. Yeah, it's um, the voice. It's the time period and what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, I've also found that you audible has also helped me a ton of just like falling asleep. I mean, sometimes there's nothing like a good story that just puts you right to sleep, and uh, I, and uh, I found that with Hamilton. Now, I did see the um, you know, the musical, the play, and that was fantastic, it was great, but if you put in the audible, that puts me right to sleep, so see, I had it on my list because I didn't want to
1: watch the, the the theater version yeah. until or the musical until I actually read it, but uh
0: you finish it. I'll be. I'll be impressed.
1: Does it shut off when automatically when you go to sleep? I, I like, put as a timer. Watching? I
0: put a timer. Okay. I put fifteen minutes, and I never get to the end of fifteen minutes. Never.
1: I mean, it's perfect. I mean, if you uh, fall, fall asleep, asleep in fifteen I, minutes, yeah. I mean, that's good.
0: Yeah, it's great. And if I don't have it, I'll, I'll be up. You know, thinking about stuff, having a hard time. You know, shutting winding down. I put that in, and boom! With I'll never get it past the fifteen minute timer. So. That would be one of my tips too. If you're having a hard time sleeping, uh, find a find a boring book and put it on with a soothing voice. Okay, it will put you right to sleep. There, so, tips for sleeping too. Yeah, that, that People got, didn't know it they it were going to get that on this one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> How um, do you have like a favorite failure of yours in your career? I know you kind of went through a lot of your career, and um, I know you've probably. Battle some of your own trials and tribulations. Sure. Is there, was there a failure that resonated with you that you, that was like a favorite you thought was the end of the world then and then but it turns out it was uh, made you who you are today.
0: Yeah, um, you know, yeah, a lot of um, I can think of a lot of like very, you know, specific. Um, you know things related to you know something you tried or a business you accepted or a deal that didn't go well mm. or a negotiation that maybe didn't didn't work. I, I would tell you early on um, when I first became a broker manager, probably one of my lessons that really stood with me was uh, sticks out even today is um, when I became a broker manager. I had never covered freight before. I never I was never a broker. Oh, okay. And so at times I would jump in and you help cover freight. And I really liked covering freight and I loved talking to carriers and I loved um, covering a load and that instant gratification of seeing the margin of the spread mm-hmm. um, kind of the juice of broker likes. I really liked that, but I was the broker manager. So there'd be times where in the afternoon or even into early evening, I'd be covering freight on the West coast because mm-hmm. I just love doing it and it helped the team and I was learning and it helped. but um, I was taking the reps that um, my brokers needed. Um, it wasn't about taking their margin or anything like that. It was just about, I was taking the, um, I wasn't doing my job. Mm. I wasn't effective delegating. So usually when I'm covering freight, it's because, um, someone's not covering it and we need help. We have to service the customers. But at the time I had a leader that said, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and you're not getting it done, but I see you covering freight. That's someone else's accountability. And I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Well, I really struggled with that because I was just covering for aid and helping the team and servicing customers. But I was really taking the development opportunities um, from some of my people and the accountabilities they needed to have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just didn't see it back then. And it took a while of me failing in my role and what I was supposed to do and what my leader was delegating to me because she needed help so that she could do things for her leader The whole delegation piece is like, it's, it's no, it's no joke. It's Mm. hard for people at times, but sometimes you're taking other people's uh, development opportunities. And I was doing that, but not even seeing it until Mm. I was struggling in my role. So there's a performance improvement plan that has my name on it. That is rolled out to me. And now I'm on a performance improvement plan because I'm not getting what I got done because Mm. I'm on DAT covering freight out of California. So, that sticks out with me because now I'm kind of um, uh, very aware of what I need to get done and what I'm what's not my responsibility. And also making sure that uh, I'm giving my people the opportunity to grow and learn and take additional tasks so we can all keep moving up the value chain together. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that would stick with me because... Um, being on a performance plan and not because your performance is good, wasn't fun, mm. but it was really what I needed to kind of outline. Here's the issue. Here's your plan. Here's what you need to do. Uh, do you agree upon it? And I would say I agreed upon it, but I did not see it, um, at the time. Um, cause I thought I was helping the team, but sometimes you think you're helping, but you're really in the way or you're taking the opportunities for others to learn. And I, you know, I think that that was a yeah. good example where, where
1: I was in my own way, I guess you could say. Did, once they explained it to you or your leader explained it to you, did you see the light instantly? He's it, like, oh, I was doing this and that isn't an effective way to coach my uh, you know, associates or get them to yeah. learn the best way? Or uh, is it something you it took a second?
0: Well, I would say I didn't see it at first when I was told verbally. Yeah. But when I mean, it was written in a plan that, that's okay. a performance improvement plan and it was well documented, I saw it right away and I got the message. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, and I think that was the point of it is sometimes we're talking past each other or we're not really getting the message of how important this is. And I wasn't getting the message of how important this was. So now we have it in writing, which just was, hey, our it's hard Sometimes when you read something, you're not talking past each other anymore. You're like, okay, this is very clear. Mm-hmm. So it just took a written plan for me to get on back on track. And it was exactly what it was, a performance improvement plan. That doesn't always have to be a bad thing. In mm-hmm. this case, it was, I wasn't hearing it. Here's the plan. Here's what you need to do. And then it was very, it was very clear to me.
1: I think that's a, a very common, I know, especially for me early on in my leadership, uh, uh, the start of my leadership days, That is a very common thing for leaders to understand about delegation, delegating tasks to your associates and letting them learn along with you rather than step in and take over because you're afraid someone else is going to mess it up. You're the more experienced one. You get in there and you know if you did it, it would would be perfect. You know, I'm making air quotes.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think that's a common thing. A lot of leaders have to learn and a lot of times you do have to learn it on the go you know just on but uh it's definitely something that i ran into at first because if you're doing things for your associates they can't do it on their own and we all can't grow together like you were saying we all can't grow up the the chain together and yeah develop out
0: well and and, you know um sometimes you want to as a leader you want to do it because you can do it faster and you just want to get it done yeah and maybe and and sometimes it doesn't have to be done perfect it doesn't need an A. it's like you know what we don't need an A here. We just need a B. I'm just going to get it done for you. Quit revving on this and trying to get an A. But what helped me is to think about I'm taking their opportunity to learn every time I do that. Mm-hmm. So even though I could do it faster, quicker, maybe better, not always better, I'm taking their opportunity to learn. And in the long run, I'm here as a coach. I'm hired as a coach. So I can't be in the game taking the shots. Yeah, It took me a while to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a definite. It's a tough one to learn early on, for sure.
1: You, uh, since I've known you, Ben, you've had, like, some of the best work ethic I've seen. Where does that come from? Does it come from your parents, the way you're raised, or is that something you learned along the way? Like, what,
0: where does that come from? Um... You know, well, one, I, I love what I do. I love the business. So, um, and there's just a ton of opportunity to get after. So sometimes when you're up, like, you know, we're here right now talking, you know, things just don't even seem like work. You're just, you mm. know, it's part of it. But, um, you know, the other thing too is, is um, you know, I'm human like everyone else. I want to do a good job. And I know I've got, um, you know, I'm always work. you know. everyone's got this something that gives them an edge Um, and what I'm looking at what the competition's doing what we need to do I see a ton of opportunity I think we're doing great but I always want to stay ahead of the next guy or compete with the next company Mm -hmm. and so I'm always trying to get the the next edge and I think that helps my work ethic but I'm also paranoid I'm paranoid to fail I don't want to fail Um, I don't want to not be successful. I don't want to, um, get those last couple things done, that last deal, that last response, the last project. Um, so there's a part of me that's, um, in the back of my mind is, is, is like the fear of failure kind of keeps me Mm -hmm. motivated. And, uh, and I, I think that's just being vulnerable and creating, sometimes even creating things that aren't there for me to give me an edge or give me an extra motivation. It's just stuff I do. Mm -hmm. Um, um you know i don't want to get cut off the team i don't want to i don't want to miss the next opportunity you know so I'm, that's stuff that kind of motivates me and and um kind of competing against yourself to get better is um a big part of it a big mm. part of what I of what i would do um, and so yeah and but you know I've, i think i've worked all my life i had paper routes when i was a kid I sold baseball cards. I, I I bought baseball cards. I didn't even really like baseball cards. I just knew I could sell them. i buy them at one-card shop. i go to the flea market down the road, and they'd always pay me more. Wow. And then That's I could dope. get money there, and I could go buy lunch. <laughs> so, you know, I had a paper. Not because I like delivering papers. I mean, a lot of times I missed houses. I didn't even – I had poor service. <laughs> but I, I wanted money. I wanted money to have lunch or or whatever it is or a pair of nikes and my mom didn't have the resources to give me those things so you know uh, whether it was a paper route or or uh, day trading baseball cards as a kid and then eventually you know when you're old enough you know washing dishes working at restaurants whatever it was just always kind of been a part of uh of growing up um, um but buying and selling has always been a part of what i've done whether it was comic books baseball cards as a kid hmm. and again it wasn't um I mean, I don't even have any of them anymore because I sold them all. I upgraded them all. Eventually, started getting Nikes and things that you know I couldn't resell. So yeah, baseball cards aren't really
1: reselling like they told us they would either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, I um, I value like leading by example and your commitment to excellence, and that mm-hmm. seems kind of like the things you're talking about. And it's uh, it really does rub off on other people, and I've seen it rub off on other people, the way you lead and the way the associates under you see that and respond well to it. And I think that's uh, what's made you so successful and the people that follow you so successful through all your days through, you know, Schneider. So well,
0: I appreciate it. I w- had tremendous and I still do have tremendous mentors and leaders that invested a ton in me. Um, again, I started Second Shift Customer Service. I had no idea what I was doing. That was a hot mess coming out of college. Um, I was just trying to get something on my resume. I mean, that was my future. That was my vision. That's as far as I could see out. Yeah. And I had great leaders um, throughout my time in Schneider that invested in me and helped me really um, kind of see a path and see a career and see a future in this. And, and um, you know, I never forget that. And now I think I'm fortunate in a position to replay it and do – Um, do the same thing so everything I'm trying to do is do what was you know someone did for me and it's all about our people and I love growing STM and I love growing our broker business but what I love the best about it is all the opportunities it's created Mm -hmm. because I remember when it was really small I remember in Chicago on one North Dearborn where it was a little corner of the whole office Mm -hmm. and the whole office was empty and I remember that and now I, I walk in there and I'm like, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, look at this we energy. You can't fit everybody talent. in there. <laughs> yeah, you have a space issue. Um, back then, I mean, we had a whole side of the office that was, there weren't even cubes. It was wide open for putting greens and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, um, just seeing the growth and seeing the opportunities for the people and kind of replaying forward. And, and, and you know, was, I got a lot of great leaders that invested in me early on. And, and hopefully I, I'm helping it still and but i've still got a lot of great leaders i learned from today and that's what i love about schneider it is that kind of um those personal investments relationships it really is all about the people mm. um and, and i like the business i like brokerage i think it's fun i think it's a great business to be in but it's a it's a awesome business to be in you have really good people and you're kind of learning constantly together mm.
1: do you have a uh do you have an unusual habit or, or like an absurd thing that you love? What's something that most people don't know about you? Or anything? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a tough. That's a tough one. I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I got two babies. I spend a lot of time with my girls. Wesley's five. Sonny's three. So I spend a lot of time with my girls. Um, I don't think that's an unusual habit. I think that's pretty common as a new father. Um, I, I don't know if I have a lot of unusual habits. Um, I I, I like a lot of people. I play uh, fantasy sports. I think those are weird habits. I hate fantasy football, um, but I can't quit it. (laughs) I've been in the same league with the same guys. I do it every – it's the stupidest thing I do in life is fantasy football. I also do fantasy baseball too. It's so dumb, but I love it. And I love the numbers, especially in baseball. I love numbers, stats, players, Mm -hmm. and I churn and burn people. I'll draft a team, and by the end of the year, I hope I've cut and dropped everyone Mm – and I've made 500 transactions in fantasy baseball. and just bothers everyone in the league for some reason. But, yeah. uh, um, so I, I actually I think that's common that people um, play fantasy sports. But I think that's a weird habit. And I think it's the dumbest thing I spend time and mind share, too. Yeah. And if anyone can help me quit doing that, I'd appreciate it. Because that is by far the stupidest thing I do. And especially when I talk to my wife about it. Yeah, Oh, she has no interest in what trade just happened or who did what um, um, so like many I play fantasy sports but that is the dumbest thing I do and I think it's a weird and unusual habit it's just being it's just very popular now
1: yeah for sure just because it's popular doesn't mean it's not unusual
0: <laughs> it is the biggest waste of mind share I have um, by far is laboring over how I'm gonna set my lineup for the week I, I can't even. So I know we have a draft at the end of the month, and I get to see everyone, and I want to see all my buddies, but I'm already dreading like the conversations on players and strategies, and uh, so.
1: You mentioned your children. Uh, you just had <sighs> uh, two children within the last five years. Yep. How has how have they made an effect on your life and career at Schneider? Has, you know has it changed some things up for you? Did it you know
0: did you make any Oh, perspective—just mm. perspective of what matters. Um, slow, th- slow things down. Enjoy um, certain moments. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you have kids. It, it seems like the clock goes real fast as you're watching them grow, develop, and mm. learn, and it just goes fast. It seems, and um, and maybe you know, for me. Um, maybe it didn't seem so fast or maybe I was so caught up in my own life and my own things I was doing and now you're watching life through someone else. So mm. I think perspective and um, for me, um, knowing what's important now of like what I want to be, what I choose to be, where I want to be. So I'll bring my girls to school um, three times a week or a couple times a week mm. and that will put my morning behind. And no- normally they all like I get all stressed out. Now I'm getting to work at 30. Freight, freight business is starting at 6. So yeah. I'm like two and a half hours behind what I want to be doing. But it's okay because getting that opportunity to spend time with my girls, bring them to school, drop them off, see them in their element, um, it's what's important. Mm-hmm. It's, it's why I do what I do for work so I can have more time with them. And, and so I think perspective, among many other things, but um, just a different – perspective um, and a different motivation for what's important uh, for me and for my family and what and how I want to raise them and what's what certain things I do to make sure they're set up a certain way. Um, it's important.
1: I love that. I'm going to be having kids here in the next year or two. So uh, it's on the, I always like to ask that question and just trying to give a, it's a great answer. I like it.
0: Yeah. Well, it, you know, and it's different for everyone. So I don't even give advice to people like, you know, when I mean, they're going to have get married or they're going to have kids. It's like it's kind of different for everyone. I, I thought I was going to have four boys. I, I'm just an idiot. I'm like, oh, I have like four boys. And, and you know, so we didn't find out the sex. So we had Wesley and I thought it was a boy for sure. So I thought it was Jack Edward Shukart for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have dreams, visions. I'm going to have a boy, of course. Well, I had a little girl, Wesley. So that was good for me. Yeah. Um, Just because it's kind of taught me like. I mean, what do you think? I don't control this stuff. So the <laughs> yeah. second baby, Sonny, Francis, I thought for sure we're having a boy. And so the doctor's like, hey, who is it? Who is it? And I'm like, I had to look at my wife. I'm like, what's the girl's name again? Because I thought this was Jack Edward for sure. Yeah. And uh, so she's like, oh, it's Sunny." And I'm like, it's Sunny," because I couldn't believe we had a girl again. So it was just something, um, just that little lesson of like, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot. I mean, like, you yeah. don't control these things. and. And, but it was beautiful, beautiful experiences. And You done trying keep, for a boy? You no, know, I, I love my two girls. We're good right now. And uh, it, it's just, you know, I want to trade it for the world. I want to trade it for the world. And uh, it's just funny looking back what you thought mm-hmm. you wanted or you thought or knew. And then you have these beautiful baby girls. and You're like, okay, this, again, totally different perspective, total different uh, reality. I would never change it. I like
1: it. Do you have a best day at Schneider, like uh, in your in your life, or like a couple, like a best moment that you can mm-hmm. remember? Is just like, damn, I love my job, or something like that.
0: Um,
1: could be recent, could be.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I do. I mean, there, you know, I mean, just a lot of them are just. Um, you know, nice personal, like celebrations we've had, like times where we have, um, a senior broker, senior seller, platinum, you know, Mm. seller broker dinners or recognitions, um, where people get dressed up, we go celebrate achievements. I really like those events. I really like what those are about. Um, I would say probably during a time in Chicago, um, you know where we had some really tough days financially, where it was really hard to get freight. We weren't making money. Um, to kind of see where it is now and just what a machine it is. Um, you know that's very gratifying just to see and see the leaders that are running it and how far it's come. Because you know what we were working on, you know, five years ago compared to what it is now, just how far we've gone. Gone is uh, so. I don't know if there's like a personal um, like one moment that stands out, but there's a lot of Um, it little moments along the journey of kind of how we've grown this that you know I look back kind of fondly. That's good. We end end it off with this one. Yeah.
1: If you're talking to a new Schneider associate, just started,
0: eager, what's some advice you'd give them? I'd be just uh, you know be a student of the game, be a student of the craft. Um, you, you know, you've got a ton of resources and people around you that are going to invest in you. And so, um, what can, what can you hear? You know, what can you learn from the people around you? What can you study? What can you learn? What works for you? What's work, working for the guy next to you? Be a pirate, be a freight pirate. So whether you're a seller or a broker, you hear or see something that's working for someone else, be a pirate, go steal it, adapt it and be a freight pirate and and make you know this isn't new there's a ton of people that figured this out Mm -hmm. so you don't have to start something totally different kind of see what's working for different people and adapt it to your own style and constantly be um learning and adapting and trying to get better um but not everything is like has to be you know you don't have to create this there's a lot of blueprints that are out there so find what you like and steal it and adapt to your own style to get better mm-hmm.
1: that's why i tell a lot of people it's like it's not rocket science what we're doing here mm-hmm. you know like learn from other people get a lot of ideas from others and the, the way they do it develop your own process trust the process that your leaders are um communicating to you stick to it bust your butt day in and day out and you'll make whatever you know whatever effort you put in yeah is what you'll get out yep. and yep. it's not rocket science yeah yeah
0: yeah i mean the roles are definitely set up of um